Ah, no, we're right. We're right for now. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you for your wonderful, warm welcome. And I just, you know, um, I'm just being um, just treated like a queen. I mean, that puffery. Puffery last night and uh, the worship and the, and um, I'm just so well looked after Pastor Mike and Joyce. I've got this fabulous fruit basket full of nuts and, and you know, <laughs> and all these goodies. I mean, it's just amazing. I could, I could uh, live in there for about three weeks and not come out for a meal. And uh, <laughs> I said, you treat me too good, oh, you, you mightn't get rid of me so easily. But um, it's a thrill to be here. And, and I just believe God's got something for us um, in each session. I'm going to deviate a little bit from, from our theme, but to, only to, to clarify some areas that God is wanting to really break through in for us to truly be the women we're destined to be, destined to rule. Amen? Now, um, is it okay if I tell a joke? <laughs> okay. Okay. This is, uh, if you've already, already heard it, I apologise, but this is why we know that Santa is a man. <laughs> Number one, no woman would ever wear the same outfit year in, year out. <laughs> he never replies to your letters. <laughs> the, the chances of getting what you ask for are nil. <laughs> um, we'll only commit to one day of the year. <laughs> uh, he never stops to ask for directions. <laughs> Too lazy to shave. <laughs> only, to do a, only willing to do a job when people leave food out for him. <laughs> and he doesn't wash the plate up afterwards. <laughs> Praise God. I, um, I really recognised I was in New Zealand this morning when I woke up and it was decidedly more chilly. And I remember when last time I was here, a few years ago now, a couple of years anyway, I think it was Tauranga, but anyway, um, I was still at that stage where I was having hot flushes, you know, change of life. <laughs> you know, you can thank God for anything. <laughs> I was in bed, middle of winter, electric blanket on three, having to get up and go to the meeting, thinking... I've got to get out of this bed, this warm, snug bed. I'm going through my notes, just so warm, thinking, how am I get out, going to get out of bed and get dressed? Well, would you believe it? I got a hot flush. <laughs> In 30 seconds, I threw off those bed clothes. I ripped off my clothes. I pulled on my stockings. I got my dress before it passed. <laughs> I found you could even thank God for a hot flush. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> but thank God um, those days are over. <laughs> Moving right along. You know why women over 50 don't have babies? Because they put them down somewhere and forget where they left them. <laughs> and I, I've got to the stage where I say to myself... As I walk out the house, you did turn off the jug, your hair straightener is turned off, and you locked the front door, you know, because I'm tired of driving back. <laughs> but anyway, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Ruth. Yeah. Before we get into the book of Ruth, though, I just wanted to um, just say, um, you know, the prophetic, I love the prophetic, and, um, you know, it's interesting that the, the things that Satan mocks are the things he's afraid of. When, when they, when they uh, were abusing and beating up Jesus and they pulled his beard and they blindfolded him and crushed his head with the crown of thorns and they mocked the lordship of Jesus, they put a royal robe on him and bowed and mocked worship and mocked his kingly authority but then they spat in his face and said prophesy now who struck you and I want to say this that the the enemy is afraid of the prophetic word the bible says despise not prophesying 
And uh, so, you know, um, I believe there are many here that God wants to activate and release the gift of prophecy in. And those who are in the prophetic to take to another level. And, and um, one of the things about the prophetic is that it's, uh, it's very much like your own thoughts, so it's easy to miss. And so when you're waiting on God and believing to hear him, and sometimes it's harder to hear God for yourself than for someone else. And, um, but it's very much like your own voice. So to, don't ask this question. Don't say, oh, is that me or is that God? Is that me or is that God? Because that will shut it down. You just shut down the flow. A better question to ask is, is it true? Is it true? His thoughts are not our thoughts, but they are similar in the way that they flow. Remember hearing the story of a man who was going for a job in the old days when they had the Western Union, the Morse code. And he's sitting in the waiting room and, um, with many, many other applicants. And he, start, he starts to become aware of a faint tapping. And as he tunes in, he realises it's actually a series of signals. And as he listens further, he realises it's actually a message. And as he listens closely, it's tapping out this message that says, if you hear this message and you understand it, get up and walk through the door, you've got the job. So it was the Morse code coming through. And the Bible says, says in Psalm 139, multitudes are the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord. If they could be counted, they're like the sands of the seashore. God has always got something to say. And we need to slow down enough just to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. We need to turn our focus towards him. Because when you turn your focus towards him and your thoughts begin to reach out to him, he will take every opportunity to speak to you. He so wants to communicate because relationship is built two-way. It's a two-way communication, isn't it? I remember coming back from um, North Queensland once, very, very tired and in the plane and, um, and uh, feeling a bit washed out and, and I thought I'll just grab the new idea, see what's happening with Brad and Angelina lately. <laughs> <laughs> just to pray. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I tell you, they're doing a lot of good in the world. <laughs> They do help third world countries. Anyway. <laughs> but I began to think about, uh, well, I thought, now, I'm going to do what, um, you know, Pastor Mike was showing us at School of the Spirit about just uh, create a platform for God to speak to me, thinking about Scripture, just thinking, engaging God through thinking about the Scriptures. So I started to think about Mary and Martha and how amazing that he used that Jesus Loved to go to their home. He hung out. He hung out with the big twelve, but when he wanted to really kick back and chill out, he went to Mary and Martha's. Isn't that good, girls? <laughs> and so he, he he loved going there. And then I began to think about how amazing that you would be someone special enough that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, said, I want to get to Faithine's place. I want to get to Mary's place. I want to get to Joe's place. Can't wait to get to Allison's place. And I began to personalise it. And the first thing I thought was, oh, I'd have to clean up the lounge. <laughs> Bit messy. <laughs> I'm a sanguine. <laughs> In fact, one of the greatest proofs that I know God existed, when I accepted Jesus, when I prayed that prayer in that home group, and I went home, and being a single mother, and I was just so aware of God's presence, it was like... Tiptoeing around the house, you know. How do you host the Holy Ghost, you know? Um, and so I started to pray. I said, uh, God, God, if you're in my heart now and you're real, where did I put my little girl's shoe? <laughs> because when people had come to the house, I'd do one of these mad cleanups. I'd scoop things up and put them into cupboards and everything was put away tidily and the next three months I'd spend looking for them. And so I couldn't find this shoe that belonged to my little girl. Anyway, I said, Lord, where did I put my little girl's shoe? And as I, um, as I was asking the Lord that, I got a picture in my imagination of the linen press, <clears throat> of the towels in the linen press. I thought, okay, I went to the linen press. And I was feeling around it. Behind the towels was my little girl's shoe. I went, he's real. He's with me. <laughs> <laughs> 
said, oh, I'm on a roll here. Lord, where did I put? <laughs> now, one of the things I hated because I was a single mum and I was um, on government support, so I hated getting those window envelopes. Anyone? Window envelopes are not happy things to open. So oftentimes I would be thinking, oh, I'm not really feeling really strong emotionally quite yet, so I'm not going to open that right now because I'm having a happy morning and I really don't want any bad news. So I would put it on the top of the fridge or I'd put it on the top of things and think, oh, I'm going to open that later. Unfortunately, I would forget. And there was, there was an electricity bill that I knew was really, 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 really overdue and I'm thinking, I don't want that cut off and where do I put that bill? So I said, Lord, where did I put my electricity bill? I've got no idea. <clears throat> I got a picture immediately in my imagination, just a thought and a picture of my wardrobe. <laughs> and so I went into the bedroom and I felt around and, and as I felt, I, I pulled it out I felt, to, you know, just felt to pull it out. And there was the envelope, my bill. I went, he's real. This is amazing. And I want to say God's thoughts are very much like our own. That's why we can miss them. As I'm sitting in the plane there and I'm thinking about Mary and Martha, I'm thinking about how wonderful it was that, they, that he would just want to visit their home and and then I just heard these thoughts, and I've heard his voice long enough and often enough to know and hear it. I just heard these thoughts. That's how I feel about you. It was so personalised and so deep in my heart. It was like I was looking for my sunglasses. <laughs> I started to cry. Put my sunglasses on, and I kind of just soaked in that thought about the next hour. And I want to say that uh, hearing God's voice... It's just the most amazing thing, and it is so very, very easy. But we can miss it because it's the soft voice, it's the whisper, it's the still small voice. And if we're busy, if he will not compete with the clamoring, loud activities of our life. He says, be still, draw near to me, and, and I'll draw near to you. And I felt that the Lord wanted to really activate, gift of prophecy, the spirit of prophecy over people's lives. So... Um, I'm going to just uh, ask if you've, got a, if you've got a desire to prophesy, if you've got a gift of prophecy and you want it activated more, or you're, you, you, you stand in the prophetic office and, and you want to just come to a greater breakthrough, I just want to pray for whoever that is and believe God with you. So if you want to just come out of your seats right now. Let's just turn to the book of Ruth. I want to just uh, continue on a little bit more to... Um, describing the fact that God has got a plan and a purpose and a destiny for each one of us. And, and as we're looking at the story of Esther, which is awesome, and we're going to continue that, and I believe that um, there's going to be a, a coming together to really see an overthrow of the corrupt decrees of the enemy. I believe we're going to have a, a tremendous breakthrough anointing. But I believe that, um, you know, sometimes we can think, well, that's okay for Esther. You know, she ended up being a ruling monarch in Persia. What about me? And, and I love the fact that, you know, um, you know, in the Bible, one of the most amazing books of the Bible is the book of Ruth, which is the gospel in cameo form, which is a picture of our redeemer kinsman that God chose to, the, to take two women. In, and I love the stories in the Bible of David and Joshua and and, uh, you know, Deborah and, and different ones. But, you know, when he wanted to encapsulate, uh, put the New Testament or the gospel in the Old Testament, he took the story of two poor barren widows. Well, one was barren because her husband was dead and the other one was a young wife that had been barren for 10 years. And he, he, he chose them to demonstrate his great covenant love in the Old Testament. So I want to just read a scripture here in Ruth chapter 1. And it says, um, you know, the story is that uh, Elimelech is a, a man of God living in Bethlehem and there's famine. The, Bible, the, the story starts with a famine. It ends with a feast, but it starts with a famine. There was a famine in the land and Elimelech takes his wife Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Chilion, down to Egypt because there's a famine in the land. I want to say this. 
Just because you're going through a tough time in the house of God, it's not a reason to check out. It's not a reason to leave the house of God. And, and uh, there's, that's, you know, I don't know anyone here, so, you know, this is not any, in any way, you know, personal. But um, they, they, they were down there t- 10 years and their two sons married two Moabite girls. And during the, that time, um, you know, because they were actually commanded in their covenant not to have connections, not to covenant with the people of Moab. But anyway, um, they're down there. And over the 10 years, uh, the Malon and Chilion died. And uh, Elimelech dies. And uh, Naomi hears that the Lord is visiting his people and it's harvest time. It's the beginning of a new harvest in Bethlehem. And so she decides to return. I want to say this. When we get ticked off or cheesed off or whatever with people, we get cranky with the house of God. We can spit the dummy and slip out the back jack and look for a new plan, Fran. <laughs> Don't finish the rest of that. It's not very... <laughs> I can't believe I said that. Anyway, moving right along. Um, I want to say you may have walked with the Lord for such a long time you can make it back. But I want to say your children may not be strong enough. So before you spit the dummy, before you have a spack attack, before you get ticked off or cheesed off with so-and-so that, you know, that, that, that rubbed you up the wrong way, do not allow yourself the luxury of isolation. For he who isolates himself seeks his own. That's what the proverb says. He who isolates himself seeks his own. And you can make it sound lovely and all the religious gobbledygook in the world cannot change things. Jesus went up the mountain to be with the Father and that relationship drove him to be with the people. The more spiritual you are, the more relationship, relational you would be. The more spiritual you are, the more connected you will want to be. You know, um, um, I, I, I love hanging out with the decessors and I love, you know, swinging from the chandeliers. And, you know, um, in fact... Um, my kids used to tease me and they, they, when I was, they were growing up and I'd be, um, you know, have my friends over and playing guitar. We'd be praying and, and uh, you know, they used to say, Earth to mum, come in mum. <laughs> and they actually kept me fairly, fairly grounded, actually. Um, but sometimes we can make things sound so spiritual. But even the Father, Son and Holy Ghost are going, whoa, that's really deep. Did you get that? No, I never got that. That's really deep. That's so deep. <laughs> I want to say, you're the more spiritual you are, the more relational you'll be, the more you want to be with God's people. And uh, so, you know, really watch that area of being isolated because when I was first saved, I really struggled with um, just uh, so much uh, hurt and fear of man. And I used to, um, I taught Sunday school. And sometimes the hardest thing was just to get out of bed. You know, I just wanted to pull the blanket back over my head and not face people. To walk through those doors was the hardest thing on the earth for me at those days. And I used to teach, I was the person who poured out the cordial and the biscuits. And I'd sit in the back of the classroom getting so much more than the kids out of David and Goliath. <laughs> I got more out of those Sunday school stories. And, and I want to say, so, so sometimes we have to push past those things, don't we? But here we see Naomi, she's... Uh, she's uh, coming back. She's heard that there's harvest time. And they were down there about 10 years, 10 years. I want to say we started a new, you know, century, a new millennium, didn't we? Year 2000. The Bible says the days is a thousand years. A thousand years is as a day. There's tremendous promises for what happens to the church on the third day. The third day he rose. The third day dry land appeared. It's interesting that even in this region you had, um, you know, a, a, an event that caused dry land to just appear. And, um, and so the year 2000, we were all expecting a prophetic thing to kick in. The year 2000 was amazing. Uh, the last hundred years, well, let's just go back to the beginning. When they had the revival in the upper room, Christianity was outlawed. It was a, it was a, um, it was uh, under you know pain of death that you become a Christian until the year about 1313, when King um, is it Alexander? What was his name? Anyway, he went to battle and he had a vision of the sign of the cross, 
and he heard this voice, um, go to battle under this sign. He, he won the victory and he came back, or King Constantine, sorry, and he made it an edict that Christianity was now a legal religion. You got, um, you know, you got reduction in taxes, uh, you know, exemption from, from some military service. There was lots of benefits in becoming a Christian. So a lot of pomp, ceremony, and a lot of tradition came in because basically many people were not born again but became Christians because of the advantage and because it became the state religion. And we saw ultimately the Holy, you know, the Roman Church, the Roman Catholic Church evolved with that. And, and, and uh, there were many good things because I was raised a Catholic. But a lot of the ceremony was, was outward tradition, was just uh, form without understanding. Um, my, my dad, um, you know, he was, uh, he was always he's quite a heavy drinker. And regularly the parish priest would come around to say the rosary with us. And I would hear my mum when I was growing up, my mum would say, Quick, Bobby! The parish priest is here. My dad would get rid of all of his bad magazines. We'd all be fighting and carrying on, the five of us kids in the lounge watching television. Parish priest, quick, turn the telly off. And we'd all kind of like get around and um, mum would go looking for the rosary beads and get out the rosary beads and um, we'd all kneel down in the lounge as the parish priest came in. And of course, you know, whatever he was saying in the heat, in the... Not in the Anyway, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxim culpa. And we'd be kneeling down and we'd be saying the rosary. And whenever it got to Dad's turn to say the rosary, he would have a coughing fit. <coughs> you better pray, Betty, he said to my mother. And um, we'd say the rosary and he would bless us and then he would go out the door. We'd shut the door, whew, turn the telly back on, all start fighting again. Dad had just, you know, go back to doing what he's doing. This was my experience of religion. It was, it was outward. On All Souls Day, as a Catholic, um, there was what we call souls in purgatory. Probably you're not aware of it. There's a planet called purgatory <laughs> circling the globe. <laughs> and the way you got people out of purgatory was on All Souls Day, you went into the church, you said a prayer for them, but you couldn't get them all out en masse. You had to do it one at a time. So you had to go outside the church and go back in and pray for another soul to get out of purgatory and into heaven. <laughs> somewhere along the line, they did away with that planet, so it's circling, <laughs> lost in space somewhere <laughs> with lots of people. <laughs> I'm being facetious, but, you know, tradition came in. And, and, and I don't want to dishonour anybody, but I want to say this. It's all about relationship. And, and Jesus is is doing away with everything that's got between him and his bride, everything that's, that's, that's blocked it. And, uh, you know, then we had the um, Martin Luther, who was a, a, a very honoured, a good monk. He was not a dissenter outside the church throwing rocks. He was in his place, monking away, whatever monks do. And <laughs> being a good monk. <laughs> And he got a revelation in the word which said the just shall live by faith. And he began to think about some of the things that they do and the, the meaningless. And in those days, it was not uncommon to have a debate. And when he nailed on the door of the church at Wittenberg there the 91 thesis of please explain, till, please tell me why, he did not intend to start a worldwide Protestant movement. He just wanted a debate. He just wanted some answers, but so did a lot of other people. And we had the Protestant move, and then, of course, we had the move, moves that came through Wesley, the holiness movers, as there came great restoration. The last century, we had three great moves. One was called the Azusa Street Revival, um, 1906 to 1910 in America there, where a one-eyed black American called William Seymour, I figured if he could have a worldwide revival, we could maybe have a good meeting. <laughs> With one eye. <laughs> and uh, from 1906 to 1910 this move swept right around the globe people would travel in ships for six months just to get to one meet just to get to the meetings it was limbs restored and God's address for, for those four or five years was you know Azusa Street 
amazing outpouring of God. And he prophesied, he said this, a hundred years from now there will come a move of God that will eclipse, far eclipse whatever you're seeing here in Azusa Street. A hundred years from now. He prophesied that in 1910. Woo! And then we had the, the, the uh, Jesus people movement. Another move of God that started in America, swept right around the world and brought people back to such a relationship with God. Then we had the charismatic move. And, um, you know, that swept right around the world. Who here got saved in the 50s, 60s or 70s? Give us a wave. Yay. Who here has been saved in the, in the um, 80s, 90s, 100s? And... Yay. Wow. Awesome. Praise God. Well, when I got saved... I got birthed into something that someone else paid a price for. When the presence of God came on me and in my bedroom without anyone witnessing to me, I got on my knees and said, God, will you please help me in the beginning of God drawing me? Well, there were churches all over Brisbane praying for the anointing to come upon people for conviction, for salvation. I was just one of many that was swept into the kingdom. When I would go to the meetings and I'd come home and my sisters and I, we all got saved together, we would dance in the backyard. I found a new way of living. I found a new life. I got the joy bells ring. I know, some of you are going, please don't sing anymore. But uh, we were just full of the joy of the Lord. You know, it was just, but someone else paid a price for that. And Jack Hayford prophesied in the 1980s, 90s, that there would come a move of God that would be far eclipse Azusa Street, charismatic, and Jesus' people movement combined. Smith Wigglesworth prophesied, a hundred years from now, there would come a move of God. And I believe that Australia and New Zealand are so closely linked. Did you have Smith Wigglesworth come over here too? Yay! I mean, too. He probably came here first. And <laughs> did, you, did you have... You know, did he bought no, I'm sorry. <laughs> and so I believe that we are in a prophetic time. But we thought when the year 2000 came, who, you know, around the world, we thought the computers were going to crash, there would be martial law, there would be chaos as we entered into this third millennium. People were putting baked beans and cans aside and bottled water and being a sanguine. I thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> about a quarter to midnight <laughs> I filled the bathtub with water my son came in and he said mum can we put cordial in that <laughs> I tell you it was an anti-climax nothing happened the things kicked over no police showed up nothing crashed duh but I tell you what did happen we ended into a 10 year preparation period because God always prepares us. There's a price being paid. And the magnitude of the door will determine the intensity of the preparation. And the last, it's, it, it, it became um, stronger and stronger until the last two years, the last year, there was such a pressure of preparation. Who can say amen to that? Amen. There's just been things. That just, but I want to say today that, that, that we have entered into a new season. That we have entered in to a new season. We've been through a 10-year preparation, 2000 and to right through to 2009. That's 10. And we've stepped into a new season. Glory to God. And I believe that one of the things that uh, I want to just look at, and um, I haven't changed my watch yet, so it's only um, 11, uh, 12, 20, 12. <laughs> what time do we stop, Joy, for this session? Half past two? Okie doke. We'll wind that up in 15 minutes. Right. <laughs> the book of Ruth is, I believe, in cameo picture, just an encouragement to you and I that, about the process. I just wanted to kind of like uh, labour that just a little bit because as this young woman, Ruth, who was one of the um, wives of the sons that died, and as you know, Orpah turns back, but Ruth says, entreat me not to leave you. Where you go, I will go. Where you... Live, I will live. Your God will be my God. Where you die and be buried, I so also will be buried. I am totally committed to your God, to your, this direction. And uh, Naomi said that because she could see that there's no way she could be persuaded. I want to say this, number one, you've got to have a total 100% commitment to walk 
in the direction of God for your life. You cannot have a bet both ways. You can't have a foot in each camp. You can't be looking back because the Bible says in Hebrews, if, if Abraham had a mind to return to the land that he came from, opportunity would have been given. And opportunities are sometimes created because of the yearning of our heart for that old life. And we can, uh, you know, I don't ever get tempted to smoke because I don't even think about it now. But I want to say if there was, a, if there was a, an area I was grappling with, an opportunity would be given. There'd be people around me smoking. There'd be people... Blah, 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 because it actually, the, the very area that's a landing strip, strip creates the opportunity. And so um, I love the fact that Ruth just, uh, you know, had that 100%. And, and I thank God in a sense that I got so beaten up by the world symbolically that there was, I know that there's nothing back there for me. And when I knelt by my little girl's bed, my three-year-old daughter, and I said, Lord, if you help me raise this child so she doesn't turn out like I did, so she doesn't have her heart broken, so she doesn't take drugs, so she doesn't hitchhike at 2 o'clock in the morning, so she doesn't live the way I did. I'll serve you all the days of my life. You help me raise this child. And he has done so, so, so much more. But I thank God that he did hear that prayer. And, and, and can I say that the that, that four chapters in the book of Ruth, we could say number one's the weeping chapter, coming out of the old life. Number two is the working chapter. Number three is the waiting chapter. And number four is the wedding chapter. And in each of our life, there are stages and phases that we need to go through to fulfill our destiny. Or we can say it this way. She came out of devastation and she came to a place of dedication. From dedication, she went through to preparation. From preparation, she went into separation. From separation, she went into consecration. And from consecration, she went to celebration. There is a process in each of our lives that should we try to bypass it, we will dwarf somewhat the measure of God. And we will, we, will, um, we will negate some of the areas God wants to take us into. Amen? And so um, whatever, whatever process you're in. So when they came back, they didn't have Centrelink. They didn't have support um, for single women. What would happen in those days was there was a ruling that the very, very, very poor were allowed to go and glean in the fields. And the reapers were told, do not reap right into the corners because the very, very poor can come in and glean in those fields. It's to be left for the poor. And, you know, sometimes we can have, um, you know, a, a, a romanticised idea that, you know, and, and I did. When I came to the Lord, <clears throat> I thought, nothing bad will ever happen to me again. If anyone watches, has watched the movie Enchanted, I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> those of you with young kids you'll know the one I'm talking about you know it was like and and there is a wonderful sense of the romantic love of God but he loves you and I too much to leave us the way we are to leave us in that place of of, of not being able to face life not being able to walk through life um in areas that we need deliverance from and so so um here she is, uh, and she has to glean in the field. That's like fruit picking. That's very, very hard work. And I, when I came to the Lord, I had worked in, you know, in a stockbroker's office and that. And, uh, but, uh, you know, like the only work I could get was, um, you know, in a particular office where I believe God handpicked every type of person that I was afraid of. <laughs> because I had a problem with intimidation. And he handpicked a whole bunch of them. Because he knew I had to overcome those areas. And then later on, um, because I was such a broken person, and I didn't know that I had a sign on my back that said, if you love to wound, hurt, abuse, <laughs> if you're a control freak, I'm a victim looking for a controller. Pick me. See, I wasn't healed. You were drawn to the very thing that you're familiar with until you're healed. And so, as a new Christian... And I used to get uh, a bus to the, church, to the city. From the city, I would get a taxi to West End. After church, I would wait at the bus at West End to get a bus to the city and wait for about an hour to get a bus from the city back to home. To get to, I would travel most of the day getting to church. Well, when someone offered me a lift to church, I was absolutely amazed. How wonderful. And it was a very nice man, so I thought. And I had prayed this prayer as a... 
as I um, tiptoe through the tulips, Christian, Lord, I never want to get hurt again. So please just bring along someone who'll be a father to my little girl. And so when this guy proposed after one week, wow. <laughs> anyway, I married Dr. Jekyll and met Mr. Hyde. <laughs> very, very mixed up, confused. Probably, probably um, schizophrenic, but he would be very jealous of my little girl. It's any attention. So I learned very early in the piece for things to go well with her. I had to toe the line. And this area of control began to come around my life. And um, I had two other children. Um, because in those days, counsellors weren't trained very well. And God blessed them. And God used it all. But when I went for counselling, they said, you should have a baby. That will help. <laughs> and I was a Catholic, so you did, always did what the priest said. And so... <laughs> Two children later and, 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 and uh, a lot of grief and disappointment. Um, and through counselling, I, I was released from that marriage through the pastoral direction. And, and, um, and so the only job I could get to keep my children in a Christian school was to get up every morning at 6 o'clock and go start work in a nursing home, peeling potatoes in the kitchen. And I remember standing there in the cold thinking, this does not feel like abundant life. You know, you have come that I, that, 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 that I could have life and have it more abundantly. This does not look like abundant life, Lord. You know? <laughs> but um, during that time, during that time, I had uh, really got involved in prayer. I'd really got involved in, in just serving in the church. And I thought, Lord, well, if I can't seem to make headway in these areas, at least I can totally commit my life to you, totally commit to your direction for my life. And one of those times, I'd, because I would always end up crying because of, I felt very, very sad. I felt very, very locked in, uh, particularly when I was still in this very bad marriage. And, and, um, and uh, one day I was sitting there crying and, and I had the impression very clearly of, of um, you know, a sword on the ground and, and the Bible on the ground and praying in tongues and praise and worship. As I sat there crying, I would always end up crying and it was not intercessory crying, it was poor me. This is terrible. And as I sat there, I heard the Lord say to me, I've done everything you need. I've done it all for you at Calvary. Pick up your weapons and fight. And, and I'd like to say I rose up and said, yay, verily God. But it was like, is there anyone else up there? Can I get a second opinion? <laughs> Just beam me up, Scotty, now. You see, I had a problem with self-pity. And, and it was like God was going after it. And, he, and literally, in a sense, the, the more intense things got, the more I had to recognise. Until one day... And by this time, I had begun to serve in the church, and, and I just loved the church. I just felt if I could move my bed into the back of the church, I'd be fine. <laughs> you know, I just loved the presence of God. I couldn't figure out what was happening. I couldn't figure out why the Bible wasn't making headway for me. didn't realise God was actually in the midst doing something far greater than what I thought, what I understood. And as I was there, um, you know... Uh, I would see a particular counsellor now and then. When I was on the pastoral team, I was also, by this time, serving in the pastoral team in the church. But I would sometimes go in to talk about the difficulties that were in, in my home and in my marriage. And, and uh, one day, this particular counsellor that was very, very kind, but with tears in his eyes, he said, Phalene, God did not twist your arm up your back to marry so-and-so. He said, you have to repent of self-pity. You have to repent of blaming God. It's not fair. Why won't you help me? Please, God, that the prayer that comes out of self-pity is ugly. I didn't know it. And then he did one of the kindest things to me. He said, either you repent right now of self-pity or we both walk into the senior pastor's office and you resign. 
well, 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 I wanted some more TLC. I wanted to, oh, it's terrible, I'm so sorry, it's that bad, is it? And yes, of course, I'm not minimising people's pain, but it wouldn't have helped me. I needed someone to eyeball me and say, you repent of self-pity now. And I want to say today, do not nurse your hurt. Do not mollycoddle something that will block your destiny. And with tears in my eyes and with pain in my heart, I prayed, Lord, God, I just repent right now of self-pity. I reject it. I renounce it. I refuse it. And I didn't know how ugly self-pity was. But from that day on, I recognized it. When I would get up in the morning and those same old familiar thoughts, the devil would be there like a big syringe ready to, oh, it's not fair and nothing ever changes and why isn't God answering my prayer and everything is so hard. I recognized self-pity. And I said, shut up, devil. I don't care how tough. I don't care how bad. I don't care how ugly this is. You will not hear me blaming God. You're not going to hear me whinging that God doesn't care. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to glorify God. Devil, I'm going to give you a headache. And every time I feel this is bad, I'm going to praise the Lord. How great thou art. How great thou art. You know, we need to magnify the Lord. But I wasn't used to that. I was used to, I was used to whining and complaining. And, you know, you've got to get the right note. That, why me? Why me? And God says, well, why not you? I'm looking for someone who will grow up. I'm looking for someone who will look beyond their own needs, beyond their own circumstances, to be an answer for other people. Hallelujah. And that, that was a turning point. Didn't happen overnight, but it did happen. <laughs> That's what God was after. He was after the stinking thinking of self-pity. And so, you know, God will have you in the working chapter, the waiting chapter. She came home and she said to Naomi, um, Naomi said, where have you been working? And she said, oh, I've been in this particular field and happens to belong to a guy called Boaz. And Naomi says, so oh, could be something in this. Boaz is a relative and there was a, a law in that place that aliens who were outside the covenant could um, have their property redeemed and bring brought back in through marriage, what they call a redeemer, kinsman. Now, we aren't familiar with that. We don't actually say I went down the road and met a redeemer. Um, so-and-so caught up with their redeemer the other day. But it was a familiar um, term. In fact, we were singing it before ever I knew what it was about, you know. My redeemer lives. My, therefore, the redeemed of the Lord. I don't know what I'm singing, but it sure sounds great. <laughs> redeemer was uh, someone who had the power to change your life. Uh, to be redeemed means to buy back to rescue from loss. It means to pay the purchase price, the full purchase price, to redeem something. Redeem means to buy back from the slave market of life. There's a story of um, George Washington in the time of the abolition of slavery when he went to a, uh, a slave market and they had uh, men and women on the block that they were selling. They dragged this young woman up in chains, wild-eyed and such pain in her eyes. And he's there on horseback and, you know, pain is a universal language. Wild-eyed, chained, there she was. And he began to bid for her, began to bid for her. And, uh, he, and as he was given the title, Bill of Sale, and they brought her over to him in chains. And he said, uh, he said, unchain her. And the men said, Oh, she, she, she's a wild one. We can't unchain her. He said, unchain her. She stood there quivering. And he had the bill of sale and he had some money and he had some paper and he said, Mary Rose, you're free. He said, here's the bill of sale. You're free. Here's some money. And here is some details, my name. If you're ever in trouble, you can contact me. She grabbed the bill of sale, the money, and she took off running. And she's running and running and running. And, and she slows down and she looks, she slows right down and she looks back. And she turns and she slowly walks back. 
And she stands in front of George Washington on his horse there. And she says, um, you say I'd be free. He said, you're free, Mary Rose. She says, uh, you, you say I'd, I'd be free to choose? He said, you're free to choose. And she said, well, I choose you. I choose you. And you know, God will never override your free will. He died to set you free. But it's called the second reach of the heart, where we discover how much freedom we have, how much he's died to give us. And we say, how can we but live and honour the one who paid such a price, that I choose you. I choose you. That's what Ruth did. Naomi said, daughter, there's a a rest. There's a place you've got to come into. Anoint yourself. Put on your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor. She uncovered the feet of Boaz. It was a sign of um, something they did a lot easier in those days. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. Moving right along. (laughs) And uh, she lay at the feet of Boaz. And in the morning he woke up. And she says... um, he says, who are you? He, she said, I, I am Ruth. She said, um, she basically said, thank you for your provision. Thank you for your care. Thank you that you've watched over me in the field. But I've fallen in love with you. I, I want to marry you. I choose you. And Boaz says these words to her. He says, you know, he'd said earlier to her, everyone has been made fully aware to me all the kindness you've shown to your mother-in-law. You see, she wasn't a mighty warrior. She was a carer. She was a carer. She walked all, worked all day in a menial job and went home and looked after an older lady. I love the fact that God didn't just die for the smartest and the best and his champions are not necessarily the ones that make a big splash. When God wanted to show and model someone he was so very, very proud of that he wanted to use as an example to many, He chose a carer, someone in a menial job that just through that time just kept trusting God. Now, there were things that were being worked out in her life. She came home and she said, this is what Boaz said. He said, um, because Boaz said to her, stay in my field, work alongside of my young maidens and I'll make sure none of the men hassle you and I'll take care of you. She went home to Naomi. Read it in your Bibles. You'll see it there. She says, Naomi... Boaz is taking good care of me, and he said, I'm to hang out with the men. She had still some Moabite-ass ways to get rid of. Naomi says, it is good, daughter, that you stay in Boaz's field and stay beside his maidens. (laughs) This is going to read my lips, maidens. She was coming out of a culture. She had issues. And so God, he, he allowed her to work in that field. The Bible says as Boaz sees her there, he says, this last act of loving kindness is far greater than all you've done before, that you would choose me, he said, that you've not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. You know what God says to you today? You could be anywhere. You could be off shopping, and, but it just so blesses his heart you're in his house today. That today you could be, you know, doing many, many, many things. But because you love him, you've set the time aside to be here with him. And he said to Ruth, a full recompense be given you, daughter, from the Lord whose wings you've come to shelter. Recompense is the same word for compensation. Can I just take five more minutes? The Lord spoke to me and he said this, I've underwritten all the losses of this end time church. I've underwritten all the preparation process. He says, my word is like an insurance policy. Isaiah 61, 7, for your former pain, shame and disgrace, for the things you've been through to prepare you, I will give you a twofold recompense or compensation. Therefore, in your land, you will receive double. And all who see you in your prosperity will know the hand of the Lord has done this. The Bible says that as Ruth goes home to Naomi, Naomi says, sit daughter, for he will not rest till he has fully accomplished everything that he desires to do for you. He goes up to the gate. He calls 10 men together, a legal quorum. He calls the court together. And he calls in a man who had the capacity to hinder his plan. And he says, There has come to notice the land and the inheritance of Naomi and Elimelech and the sons Malon and Chilion. It is in your power, he says to this nearer kinsman, this kinsman who had capacity to take the land, to have access to the property. He says, it's in your power 
to um, appropriate that legally. The nearer kinsman thinks about it, thinks land, prosperity, position. He said, yeah, I'll take it. Boaz says, hang on a minute. In the day that you redeem the property of Naomi and Elimelech, you must marry Ruth the Moabitess to raise up godly seed, to be fruitful with, with, uh, with Ruth. The Bible says this, this um, near kinsman takes off his shoe. Thank God nobody in the front row is. They're all swooning. Oh, did you not believe she took her shoe off? Anyway, he takes his shoe off, which was a sign of relinquishing the right. You see, the legalistic, pharisaical, power-broking mindset of a religious, traditional church that has been about position, money, power. But you know, Jesus Christ did not die for denominations. He did not die for buildings. He did not die. He died for people. It's all about people. The Lord spoke to me when I read that. He said, I'm going behind closed doors. I'm going into committee meetings. I'm going into churches. I'm going into places. And just because I'm silent, don't think I'm happy with the choices. Where you would choose to sacrifice people because of systems, because of positions, because of position-seeking. And I want to say this today. It wouldn't have been easy for Ruth to stand there in the crowd and hear this man say, She's not worth it. You can redeem her if you want to. And I want to say there's people here today and there's things that you didn't fit and flow in, that you didn't measure up in. You ought to say, thank God. Thank God I didn't go along with it. Thank God I didn't fit in with it. Because the devil's got a theory and it goes like this. Everyone's got their price. Everyone's got their price. Give people enough position, enough enough popularity, enough money, they'll, they'll shut up, they'll stop being radical, they'll stop really going after God, they'll play the game. But I want to say this, no matter what circumstance in life, Jesus today wants to say and stand with you and say, as Boaz says, I testify today that this is the heart I identify with. This is the people I identify with. People that would pursue me when there are other things they could go after. And he said that day, he said, I want to testify today that I choose Ruth, that, that, that I delight in, in drawing her close as my bride. And everybody began to prophesy over Ruth and say, may you be fruitful in Ephrata. May you be famous in Bethlehem. May you have a double portion. The Bible says that as they married, Ruth, who'd been barren for 10 years, immediately became pregnant with a son called Obed. We get the word obedience from. I believe the church is going to become so fruitful because of this time of intimacy, this time of divine favour. In one generation, we're going to have a generation turn around to walk in obedience to Christ. I believe we're going to see tremendous release in the earth of a Davidic generation that came from Ruth. I want to say this, that Ruth had to go through that process to become the mother of a generational line that would bring forth Christ. And so she had to go through a process. She didn't know that forever and a day she would be talked about, lifted up. And for us now here, thousands of years later, we're going to look at her life and say, I'm going to follow her like she followed Christ. I'm going to, I'm going to be willing in the, in the, in the waiting chapter, in the, in the working chapter. And where things don't add up, I'm going to trust that there's a better day coming. And I want to say this, that because he's underwritten all the things that have had to take place to prepare you, he is going to give you now divine recompense, divine compensation. So could we stand right now and, and um, thank you, Lord. We used to sing a song called He Gave Me Beauty for Ashes, The Oil of Joy for Mourning. Double recompense. Well, we have a term in our society called double indemnity. It's where an insurance policy under certain circumstances will pay out double. And I want to say you're in a time when God says, I'm going to give you double for your trouble. 
In Isaiah 61.7, where it says, For your former pain, shame and disgrace. She might have felt like, where's the grace of God when she's working and slaving away? When she's waiting for things to change? Well, the enemy tried to bring shame. Well, where is your God? You haven't seen the change yet. He said, I'm going to give you a twofold or a double recompense, double indemnity. And I want to say, as Boaz went up to the gate, the claims court of heaven is now open. It's time to cash in your insurance policy. It's time to see the promises of God become yea and amen. Amen? There has been a, there's been a term. There's been a timing in this. That's why things hasn't, haven't happened as quick as you'd like them to. But I believe we're in a time of divine favour. Amen? So if you're here today and there, there have been some areas that, that have been in the too hard basket, maybe the waiting chapter, maybe the, the working chapter, maybe there's just been contradictions where it's like, well, when will I see the promise come? I just want you to lift your hand right now all over. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I'm going to pray the prayer of divine recompense. One of the covenant names of God in the Bible is the Lord, my recompense or compensation compensation means I'm going to give you back something far greater than what you lost. And I just want to say this last thing. Naomi actually went through, uh, you know, death. She actually lost her husband. She lost sons. God knows how to recompense you in that. Only God knows. And I know when God did it for me, it was through my eldest girl that had been, you know, the product of, of me being a single mum. And no, life wasn't easy for her, but as things turned around, he gave her not one but two beautiful little granddaughters. And as I stood to dedicate the second little one on a platform at a church, where years earlier I'd been a single mum, just with my three-year-old, dedicated to the Lord, wondering how life would turn out. And I looked down the platform and I saw each of my, my daughters and this, uh, my son and and just the family restoration. And as I held my second little granddaughter, I thought, Lord, you know how to recompense. You know how to give me back the years. Naomi, as she held that child of Ruth, and she was taken into Ruth's home, everybody celebrated and they said, Naomi has a son. Isn't that awesome? Not Ruth. <laughs> Naomi was so recompensed that as she held that little boy, God gave her back and restored to her all the things that she'd suffered and gone through. He knows how to recompense you. He knows how to recompense you. you some of you have been through a Job season. Found this, the only reason you read the book of Job is because you're <laughs> going through a Job season. God's bringing you out with double. God's going to bring you out with double. Now, Isaiah 61, 7, where it says a double recompense, it's ongoing present tense. So that means I'm going to give you double and then I'm going to, and then I'm going to double it the next year. And then I'm going to double it again. And then I'm going to double it again. Amen? So you ready for divine recompense? Divine favour? Father, right now I thank you, Lord. Lord, there are many here that have not only been through 10 years of testing, but even years of, of, of waiting and even where there's been a considerable period of time. Lord, I pray and declare over them your word that, the, that, that you would release a double recompense, a compensation, double favour, double goodness, double family restoration, double financial restoration double physical restoration, double for their trouble. Lord, today I speak it out, I release it, I prophesy it, I declare it in the realm of the Spirit, the compensation, the covenant of God. Lord, I declare the promises of God, a yay and amen, and the promises of God over their life today are greater than any circumstance, greater than any season, greater than any problem. Today, oh God, let your word be true and settled forever in heaven, that you would watch over your word to perform. And today I declare double recompense in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's just thank the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Bless your name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. What do you reckon, Dot? How long have we got? <laughs> 3.30. If we could still be back here at 3.30, it'd be very good. But make sure you get to know new people. Just love one another. And uh, we'll see you back here at 3.30.
Sorry, there is afternoon tea out in the back, going to the youth room. <laughs> just, just follow on through. There's a nice afternoon tea out there.